My name is Julie Kraft and I have bipolar 2 disorder. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. I was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 36. I was told of my diagnosis and I remember being relieved but also terrified. I know um, the perceptions and the stigma that goes along with it. I started sharing my story about four or five years ago. I decided to come forward and start sharing. It's led to me meeting the most amazing people walking the same path. So we had talked about collaborating. My greatest hope is that others will hear our stories and feel less alone. We can offer insight and give the world a real life living example of what bipolar disorder can look like. This is bipolar. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone, welcome to the very, very, very first episode of This is Bipolar. My name is Shaylee Hugendorn, I'm a mama, I'm a wife, I'm a teacher, event planner, and a mental health advocate. I have a vlog on She Loves Magazine called Sisters in Mental Illness, and I am super passionate about smashing stigma, and I'm so excited to be doing this episode with my friend, Julie, who's going to tell you all about her. Great, so my name is Julie Kraft, and I am also a very passionate mental health advocate. Um, I came forward with my journey a few years ago, haven't stopped since. I am also a mama. I have three daughters, I'm married to my husband for 25 years almost, and um, I've also written a few books about my bipolar journey, so I guess I could say I'm an author as well. So that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. Awesome. And we just wanted to start this just to share our stories and to show you what it's like for two women to um, live with bipolar 2 disorder. And Julie, I'd love for you to be able to tell people just in case they're wondering, what is bipolar? What is the medical definition? Very great question. Um, so just I will clarify right out of the gate, I am not a a healthcare professional. I'm not a doctor, but I do know a teeny bit about the disorder that I've been diagnosed with. So if you were to look online at the WebMD, the official definition of bipolar disorder, um, it states it's a very serious mental illness that brings extreme and unpredictable changes in mood, energy, and behavior. And these swings extend from emotional highs down to very low lows. And so as it relates to bipolar disorder, those highs are called mania or hypomania, mm -hmm. and then the lows are the depression. And a little bit of fact trivia here, um, bipolar was actually previously named manic depression. And so I know a lot of people have heard that term, but in 1980, it officially changed to bipolar disorder. And a lot of folks also wonder, you know, what causes it? Is it hereditary? So it's definitely biological. So my neurotransmitters are not operating as they should. Um, it's also, you can also be genetically predisposed to it, as well as life, major life events or trauma can also trigger. So basically, there is a lot of gray area when it comes to bipolar um, causes, uh, symptoms, everybody's experiences are so different. So that's where it really is hard to put it in one 
nutshell or diagnose someone right out of the gate and then treat it the same way. So a lot of gray area and that's pretty much it. If I ramble on any more about the technical side, I'll get myself in trouble. So in a nutshell, that is bipolar disorder. I'll also add that there are different types even, but um, two of the most common are bipolar one and bipolar two. And so my diagnosis is bipolar two and so is Shaley's. And there's, um, there's nothing like meeting someone that's had uh, same diagnosis or, or similar um, uh, experiences and um, symptoms as you. It, it connects you real fast. And we when you find someone with a shared experience and when it's as meaningful or as serious as a mental health struggle, there is, there's this instant click. There's an instant connection. I remember reading some of your writing, Shaylee, and I just sat there and said, oh my goodness, this is someone that thinks like I do. They have the same worries and anxieties. And I think when you find that and you can sit there and say, I am not as weird as I thought I was. I am not the only one. It's, I mean, it brings me to tears. And so this we are just, I think our level of passion and explosive proximity, is that even a word? Um, it's contagious. I think we feed off each other. And I think when two bipolar creative minds combine, this is what you get. So I am beyond thrilled, so excited, a little bit nervous because we are, we're just going to put it all out there everything unfiltered raw yeah you're exactly right like our our deepest hope is to um, connect with other people and maybe teach some people a little bit along the way but um yeah we just hope that this gives a, a little snippet into um two people that live with live with bipolar so yes so excited. So we thought we'd start with talking about what our life was like growing up. Because like we said, we're no doctor, but some of the things that I've learned is that you, there's kind of this gray area. If you're born with bipolar, does it come out in your 20s? All of that thing. I don't know about you. I don't read a ton, ton about it because it overwhelms me. But I'm very curious about what it was like for you growing up, or did you notice anything different about yourself? Yeah, I know people often say, were there any signs when you were a kid? So I have, I've gone back and I've asked my mother, mom, what kind of a kid was I? So she said I was a handful. I was very dramatic little girl. Um, so I'll start way back at the beginning. I'm actually a pastor's kid, so right out of the gate, that sort of meant that my my life would be very different. It would be lived in a fishbowl. Um, and so we moved about every two or three years to little towns. And so everybody knew who I was, who our family was, where we lived. And so I instantly felt that pressure to be that perfect little girl, not only on Sunday morning in the front church pew, but all throughout the week. And so I think even from an early age, I felt that pressure who, wow. if I wasn't in a happy place, just put on that mask. Um, I was very creative little one. So I would always pretty much write Broadway musicals and then get my siblings to dress up and we would put on shows for my grandparents. I absolutely loved school and I excelled at school. And so I had a few chances to go and do some special programs where, you know, my mind was stretched. So I absolutely loved that. But I also felt that pressure. So I would get home from school and my mom 
I would unleash on her. And so the teachers, of course, would say, Julie is just a little angel. She is, you know, the perfect model student. And my mom would say, are we talking about the same child? I also, looking back now, though, I had some very dramatic and extreme reactions to certain events. So two in particular, I'll just share really quickly. One um, wasn't supposed to be chewing gum in school. I was in grade one, the gum flew out. And instead of just letting the teacher know or picking it up, my brain decided to step on it and stay in that place despite the vice principal, the teacher, uh, the principal begging me to move. And so my mom had to walk a very far distance to the school. So I look back and I say, that's not really a normal reaction. So looking back, the explosive creativity combined with those reactions that were just a little bit over the top, I think looking back at my childhood, those were definitely things that may have, I don't know, set me apart. And then um, something happened right on the cusp of becoming a teenager. So I don't know if you want to share a little bit about your childhood before we sure. get into my awkward teen years. Sure, sure. So I did not, um, I did, I grew up with a very easygoing, very um, self-proclaimed hippie parents. Um, time and clocks were not a thing that mattered to our family. Um, and anything I say, my parents were amazing. It's just, we joke now that it's kind of not very um, helpful sometimes environment for a child with anxiety who wants to follow the rules and be on time. And it's really interesting because I was a really, really, you're not even gonna believe this, shy. I was really shy and quiet and clingy to my mom. She had to walk me every day to kindergarten. Wow. And yeah, and I was, I would really, really worry about things. Like I said, my parents, you know, fly by the seat of the pants. They're so awesome, but, which is a really cool way to live, but I, I, I wasn't wired like that. So like, for example, if we'd be, um, you know, like buying groceries and we wouldn't have enough, they would put things back and I would like, hyperventilate inside Aww. and I would yeah all these things that it it wasn't a big deal but I would overreact and they they just didn't understand and I had three brothers and I was the only girl so they didn't know if it was you know that if this was extreme or not extreme yeah. I um I didn't want to pay for anything until I was a teenager because I was so scared about counting out change <gasps> and knowing if I was going to get change back yeah and but the really strange thing happened. I was so scared and I also was like the good girl and everything. And then I don't know if it's like pre-puberty or tween, but it was like a 180. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was just loud and boisterous and it like it literally changed. My mom said like probably grade six, seven. And I even like got super rebellious, like even with a teacher, which I never would um, in high school. <laughs> No, I, I lost my chair as a teacher. I do not agree with this at all, let's just say. But yeah. I lost my chair because our teacher had a really hard thing with chewing on your pen. I don't know about you, but, um, you know, like I have anxious sensory things. And so chewing on my pen helps me focus or doodling or like I can't sit still. So I wasn't doing it purposely, but it's almost like as soon as he said we weren't allowed, it's like I couldn't stop. So I legit lost my chair for a day 
and I was mad at recess and lunch. I like brought people together to have like a riot. Like we made signs. <laughs> There's that passion again. <laughs> exactly. And you mentioned about writing plays and things like that. I remember all my little cousins in the summer around the fire, like I would have a full script and I would have this and I would have got costumes out of our random stuff. And then they wouldn't follow it. And I would be like, hysterically bawling after because I had worked so like uh, definitely like what you said is yeah. like huge reactions to things that maybe um you know in a large group of people wouldn't be an average reaction would legit break my heart mm -hmm. and so that was kind of leading up into into teen years so it's interesting you always talk about the buy and the uh, you know in terms yeah. of being opposite it's it's almost like there was a, a, a switch there wow that, at like a definite time that there was a switch there i'll let you get into your teenage years and then i'll tell you mine right now is everybody ready <laughs> I'm ready. It's, it's so cool i love to tell our listeners so yes we've met each other and such but we didn't tell each other our full full stories because we wanted to be able to hear it with you yeah. so if we have big reactions it's because we haven't heard it before so, so buckle up <laughs> here we go um we could probably do six episodes on just how awkward i was so i actually followed every rule even to the point where my dad drafted up a contract that if we didn't smoke um, or do drugs or do any other activity of the sort we would get a hundred bucks on our 21st birthday so that kept me on the straight and narrow pretty well so the teen years hit well almost the teen years when i was 10 my parents announced that we were moving from the safety of a small town in ontario canada to British Columbia, to Vancouver. And so for someone from a tiny town to move to the big city, that looking back was the moment where I went from sort of being the gal that everybody knew in the school and, you know, excelling and being plucked out for different programs to being small fish in a huge pond. Now add in puberty hitting. And I, I was pretty much the most awkward kid you could have ever Met. So, you know, between my eyebrows fusing together, I just, I worried about everything. So I worried about the sound of my voice to the point where I wouldn't take phone calls. Shaking hands on a Sunday morning, um, I worried they were too sweaty. So I would intentionally grab a book or a purse or something to, you know, get out of doing that. Um, my breath, I worried about anything and everything. Things just seem to pile up and get darker and darker. But if you were to talk to anyone that I went to school with or a youth group, they would say I was the happiest, happy-go-lucky person, you know, from afar. Everything seemed absolutely perfect. And that went for on a Sunday morning as well. And of course, you know, with all these worries and anxieties, I started to question even my faith, you know, is my faith real? Um, why am I struggling so much? So 10 years old that move across canada looking back of course now that was i think the moment that really made the ground beneath my feet really shaky and so i i did i struggled all through my teen years and it just kept building and building and the other thing that's so important to point out is there were no mental health initiatives there were no bell let's talk days and so 
no one talked about mental health, um, you know, and of no fault of my parents, it just, I don't think it was something we talked about in the 70s or the 80s. I kept everything under wraps. I don't even, it's, a, I, I've been to, you know, counselors and psychiatrists since, and they said it is a miracle that I didn't turn, you know, to alcohol or drugs. And I guess I will thank my dad for that contract. Yeah. I, I didn't have a contract friend. No contract for you. <laughs> no, I had a, um, a very different experience. Um, so I experienced it a little bit different in that I'm all or nothing and it would depend, right? Otherwise I, yeah, I was no, I didn't recognize it as anxiety until way, way later because mine doesn't come out in a lot of fears of things. Now, since having kids, yes. But it, it was, mine came out in uh, anger and because um, people can't keep up. Mine came out, you know, in just, I didn't like to be tiled down into rules or put in boxes. Um, and it's interesting, I, if you look back, especially compared to you, it sounds like I would be considered a huge, huge rebel. But the interesting thing was, is that the, with the people that I mostly hung out with those years, I was probably the most responsible rebel, if that makes sense, right? Like yes. I drank, I tried the things, but I would be like, make sure we had, you know, a our, my friends weren't as concerned with rides home and things like that. I was very much like that. And luckily I had amazing parents that were like, call us no matter what. I don't know if that was um, just teenage experiment or, um, or if that was, you know, self-medicating. I, I don't, it was almost just like the group and the, and we were a small, I lived in up, up North in BC and it was a smaller town as well. Um, but yeah, I was like that. And I actually, but I look back now and I was very um, clingy. I didn't feel safe or I didn't feel like I was worth much unless I had a best friend or a boyfriend. Uh -huh. And when I didn't have that, I felt like I would get in my head that I was nobody was not important. And in fact, I, I stayed in not healthy relationships and did not healthy things for, for myself um, in relationships um just to keep them around even when i knew like i don't even know if i like him anymore uh i was like yeah but then you're nobody if you're not so i uh, had they, they were longer term usually but i always tried to have a boyfriend like always and i remember if there would be a few um the breakups it would be i you know it wasn't normal breakups like i could not get off the floor and the interesting thing was, I remember lying there hysterical at one point and being like, a, a little part of me being like, you got relieved and you actually weren't that into him anymore, but that huge overwhelming grief that who am I? Like I put my identity yeah. a lot in, in other, other people. But if I had that best friend or I had that boyfriend, I was like the life of the party. I was so much fun because I had so much energy and I was exciting. And that kind of thing. And I liked being kind of shock value-ish, right? Like I would say like shocking things to, you know, be that person. Like, yeah, because I also don't really have a filter. I don't, I don't know. I didn't know how to play the girl games that some people play. See, it's so funny because I would have been terrified of you. 
we wouldn't have hung out. You would have been a rebel on the wrong side of the tracks. And I was just my little goody goody self caught up in all my issues. So this is very interesting. I never would have thought that you were on the rebellious side. Really? Never. Really? Oh, funny. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this weird, always this weird balance for me because I'm a rule. I'm a teacher. I'm my event player. Like I'm a rule follower. If that rule makes sense. If it's just been there forever for no reason, I'll push back. If it doesn't make sense to me or seems like, I remember, was it a doctor or naturalist said, you have a strong sense of justice. And my husband jokes because it's like about everything. Like, uh, yeah, like he's like, you don't normally just have a meh opinion. You have like, you feel strongly like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I want that. I don't want <laughs> that and so um it's it it's yeah it's interesting because some people see me as that like the rule follower you know yeah. the you know woman of faith and, and and this kind of person and then I but then I fight with that also um yeah that also part that you know wants to follow rules but only if they make sense well and I think we are either all in or all out, or at least Absolutely. I am. And I would say very passionate. I think it's the only way to be in life. So I think I can appreciate your passion or sense of justice or just for anything that we take on. When you came, I'm curious about this, when you came to Vancouver and you talked about those high school years, Yes. what were friendships like for you? So I didn't have a lot of friends. I call myself a floater. But if you asked me, are you part of the cool crowd or whatever? Never. I was way on the outskirts. And then as far as boys, <laughs> I struggled really hard in that department. But again, dramatic reactions. There was one very kind boy when I was 14. We danced to a Debbie Gibson song. I oh, think Debbie. Called, I get lost in your eyes. Shout out to Debbie. Shout out to um, and afterwards, he looked at me and he said, would you be my girlfriend? And I didn't know how to say no. <laughs> but so you I said, I would love to be your girlfriend. Completely panicked, went home. And in those days, we didn't have cell phones. They were no. the old fashioned kind that had the cord attached. And I took the phone off the hook, buried it under about 15 pillows. And I took it off the hook from about 3 p.m. till 11 p.m. every day for about two and a half months until I had convinced myself that he had stopped calling. So instead of just maybe having a calm conversation the next day about it, letting him down gently, I can only imagine how hurtful that would have been. If anyone had done that to me, I would still be in counseling for it. And you know, you had mentioned just being devastated over a breakup. And I think that's the other side of being a very uh, passionate person that feels everything to maximum potential so it's maximum joy but also the heartache and the opposite extreme can be crushing yeah and it's interesting that you that you say that too because i remember you know um if people don't mean to you realize now it's hurtful but i was very much and i was the only girl who was like drama queen you know i had all the things yeah and, um but i couldn't explain and i couldn't i just i couldn't explain to my parents or i just couldn't explain that like i couldn't not feel like i physically hurt right like breakups would physically like i actually when they say heartbroken like it 
it really did. I, I, I just couldn't cope. I couldn't, uh, yeah, I didn't have, um, you know, good coping mechanisms and, and things like that. And I didn't know what to, to do with those feelings. So, I mean, I did do things. I remember for a while I wrote like really depressing poetry. Um, I even, I think I, I, I got in an anthology that I sent into 17 magazine, but we didn't have money. So we never got to buy it. So somewhere out there, one of my dramatic poems. I would like a dramatic reading next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and find a diary. In fact, I remember like just thinking there's always this kind of theme in my life of should. Like I always think there's a certain way that you should be or yeah. you know what I mean? And I always remember thinking I'm not that or yeah. always striving to be that. So for example, I remember writing my diary. Oh, how I loved writing my diary. <laughs> if things were boring or whatever, I made stuff up totally lied to my diary made my life sound incredible really right oh half lies ah <laughs> uh, well you know the other thing too is some people would say break up get over it and i think sometimes we compare our heartache or our experiences or our reactions to them we compare them to other people's reactions and i don't think we should ever do that if no. you're if you're breakup crushes you to the core that is okay and that is your reality and so i think i've stopped also comparing you yeah. know my experiences and my reactions to them because it's i so think they they are very extreme in some cases and you know what i now realize that's how i'm wired and that's okay yeah i think so too i think with therapy and and just you know getting older and realizing things is that um yeah you you have to feel things how how you feel them right and just accepting those because i think that um i spent so much time in my head and trying to figure out uh, the the right thing to do or or almost like judging how i'm feeling which made things yeah. a thousand times worse right if you can just feel it and you know let yourself sit in it also my mom is the most amazing like she is like a kid person she was you just know those people like she takes care of other people's kids she she's a fixer right like here have a snack or here like a distractor and so i never really sat in emotions very long i would do anything to get away with them i was busy socialite um most of the time and then we'll get into the other times. Um, yeah. but I was either that and out with everybody and doing everything, or I was home and just uh, consuming. We didn't have TV, hippies, right? Um, so we had so consuming books. Like I would, if I didn't have anybody to hang out with that weekend, I would probably read like Three Sweet Belly Highs or or something <laughs> like that. I couldn't just be. Like I, I had to escape and be busy all the time because I didn't yeah. know how to sit in my own thoughts and feelings. And I think I just sat in them and was all consumed. I think I have yet to read three books. <laughs> right? Oh, I know, I know. But we like, I know that all of those experiences have shaped who we are today. 
all of those experiences, I think, shape us in so many ways that to take out or change anything about any of our pasts, yeah. and are we ever going to dig into those, um, would be to take away from who we are and what we've learned and, you know, what we care about now and how we're able to be empathetic for other people going through breakups. I think, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. I think, um, yeah. One more thing I think I wanted to add to like high school and twenties kind of thing is what is a little bit different. It sounds like, tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you worried about a lot of things before they happened or thinking they were going to happen. Yeah. So I, it was almost the opposite for me. So the feelings or the icky feelings or the overwhelming or the big emotions propelled me to do the things and not think. But what happened with my anxiety is the overthinking later and the shame or the embarrassment or the going over the conversation and oh. I can't and you know uh, of course we want to present ourselves and we're on a healing journey and things but let me tell you that isn't completely gone yeah. um I uh, it's much more manageable or things like that but uh, you know, we still, I still have my disorder and I can, I can spiral still. And, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few things, um, um, that, yeah, that I carried for a really, really long time. And that still, if I'm not careful, we'll yeah. sneak back up. Like at, when I'm up in the night, right. It'll be like, Hey, remember when you were 19 and you said that was really embarrassing. Like, and I'm like, are you kidding me? let it go <laughs> can i be completely honest right now you don't know what i'm gonna say right now but like you said we're not cured bipolar the roller coaster is you know we're still on it yes we can manage it but i can often default to those feelings of insecurity so oftentimes it'll be when i text someone or i don't hear from them for a while so i think this weekend, I hadn't heard very much, and I had gone down the spiral of Shaylee thinks I am over the top. I freaked her out because I went to my last text, and I think there were about 50 exclamation points. I'm not kidding. Maybe more. Love it. And I told my husband, she's out. I'm about to get a breakup letter. She doesn't want to do the show. It's going to be so embarrassing. I'm going to be rejected. We're never going to speak again. This is so awkward. <laughs> Hello, Monday morning comes, everything is perfect. We love each other, we're so excited about the show. And I think even me, 46 years old, I have all the tools to capture my thoughts, look at what's true, look at, you know, did anything happen with Shaylee that would make her hate your guts? <laughs> no. And I think it's important to admit, and I really, just really hope that our listeners understand that. Like, yes, we put ourselves yeah. together. Yes, we made things look nice, but we still struggle and, and we're showing up within it. We don't ever, we talked about this at length. We don't ever want this to seem like we're cured or wrap this up in a bow because we, we still struggle with big things. And, um, you know, it is a big part of our life. Have we gotten to a place where we've learned to harness it? Most days. Most yeah. days, most days, <laughs> yeah, most days. And the two of us, we've chosen medication. So we are medicated and motivated. And so I just, for people out there that, um, you know, are, are looking and thinking, oh, you know, they have it all together. 
this is not true. And you will find out. <laughs> you will find out. In so many ways. Ride. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, I would love to, we talked a little bit about it. I talked a little bit about the, the drinking and such, but um, how did you, like, uh, you touched on a little bit about, you know, staying quiet and, and, and avoiding with the, the phone under the pillows. Um, yeah. But was there any other ways or coping mechanisms or unhealthy ones or that you can think of maybe even into your, into your 20s or into um, high school? The only thing that really I can look back to is shopping. And I didn't shop a lot. We didn't have a lot of money, but there was definitely that feeling of, you know, I think I had $7 extra spending money. So I would get a picture frame and have a moment of that happiness. But as far as drugs or alcohol, that contract, I've got my $100. I was even offered $1,000 in university to go out on a Friday night and I did not sell my soul. <laughs> but no. I, my coping me mechanism was wearing a mask and that's true for when I was a little girl, a teen, and then that carried on into my marriage. And so my family ended up getting basically the frustrated monster, all of the feelings that I would keep bottled up, all of the feelings, you know, you're not going to rage on the cashier at, at the grocery store. And, you know, if someone asks you how you're doing, you certainly, I didn't feel the freedom to unleash and unload on anyone other than my family, which right. is so heartbreaking. But I, you know, sometimes the people you love the most, um, the people you love the most get your very worst because I, you know, I just assume my husband would take it. So many people, when I came forward with my story, I posted it on Facebook, go big or go home, shocked, shock and awe in my little tiny community. Oh. Couldn't believe it. Never would have guessed. Yeah. Yeah. I remember wishing that I could be more like that, like that I could, could put on. Of course I can read situations and I wasn't out of control, but yeah, um, it was almost more painful for me to not say what I was thinking or feeling so I would I would never go like there were certain thoughts that I couldn't share that it just felt like it was over the line yeah. but um I I was able to share a bit but absolutely on the home front thing and um yeah a lot of the the breakups that I referred to um it would they would break up w with me usually or we would break up when I wasn't in my um, what we now know is a, my hypomanic state, right? Because I was yeah. super fun and funny and things yeah. didn't bother me and I wanted to do everything. Whereas when I would get, you know, hit the winter time, I wasn't fun and funny and I was clingy and I just wanted us to stay home and watch TV and be alone together. And all the time yeah. it, I was like, you know, fair enough. I was a pretty different person. And, and so then it felt like pressure to be, you know, the fun one. Did you have those definite swings or differences even as a teenager? Has yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. Well, try to look back, and because uh, when I first when I first got diagnosed, which we'll talk about in another episode, um, and and kind of chart it. So yeah. not as definite as later in my twenties. In my twenties. Okay. But in high school, there was definitely ebbs and flows, and it definitely it was seasonally. But I think. And I rapid cycled more. Rapid cycle um, is when you go back and forth, you can go back and forth really quickly um, in a day, in an hour. And I think yeah. I did that, but I, there was definitely, um, you know, depressive episodes. And generally, 
which went along in my life, it was in the, the winter months. I'm ah, okay. affected um, by the weather. And yeah, it would usually, but then there would be blips because I love holidays and parties, right? So there would be definite blips. I remember um, being at my one uh, boyfriend's house. We were together a long time. And so I do Christmas at my house and then go to his house and his mom would get me like a stocking, everything. And I remember just like, I think it was like, I don't know what we were dancing to. We were like into Pearl Jam and that stuff, but I remember the music blasting and she had given me Christmas pajamas and I was like dancing around their house and my Christmas, like I just remember. And then I li literally remember like a week later having a hard time getting off his couch and he wanted to go out. And I, I remember, and I, I, like, I can hear it clearly, like, what's wrong with you? Where's, he said, where's that Shaylee from last week? And I remember, Ooh. like, I still sometimes, like think well I, yeah i have a hard time like is that the only likable shaley i know i know <laughs> see my heart goes out to you and for me i felt like no one would ever accept me unless i was full throttle happy go lucky i never gave people the chance to see the down me or the just mellow i felt like i needed to keep up that level of energy so I had created this cycle that I couldn't keep up. Yeah. Um, you know, thank goodness now I'm able to just show up and just be me. But my heart goes out for you that, you know, in that moment, you're, it's like, I'm still Shaylee. I've just toned down or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And I think too, um, you know, it was always a crash, right? You only have that much energy. But yeah. I didn't feel like I was acting in the moment. I really was that excited and really what did have that many ideas, right? Yeah. In the moment. But um, yeah, it's exhausting, exhausting mm -hmm. to keep up. Um, one of the things that um, I wanted to, so you said you didn't share your struggles openly. Mm -hmm. um, so how, I would love to hear the story about how you know, you met your husband or was there specific, I know we've mentioned before together that we've had specific breakups in our life that, that really defined us. I'd love to you to speak to kind of that topic. Sure. So my first serious relationship came when I was 19 and I was in 500%. We were going to get married, have kids, live happily ever after. We'd only been together for a few months, of course, <laughs> but I had already gone down that road, hadn't purchased my wedding dress yet. And so this was it. This was my first serious relationship. And so what happened was I ended up moving away to go to university and literally within weeks, my phone calls went unanswered. I would call at midnight. The roommate would pick up and say he was at the library. Um, I took me a while, but I put two and two together and then, you know, some other not so great things happened and basically I was ghosted. So I think that's a term the teens use nowadays, but is. I'm impressed. Yes. Ghosted. So phone calls not returned and mm -hmm. I was absolutely crushed, devastated. Um, that was like in November of that year. And I remember just going to the mailbox every day 
and being utterly disappointed, expecting something, you know, how could someone just let me go? It was the ultimate rejection and not even give me the decency or courtesy of, of like a goodbye. So of course, in dramatic fashion, <laughs> I drafted the biggest goodbye letter, you know, we were meant to be and now you've lost me forever and of course i sent it registered mail which means it was delivered and he need to sign at the door very i had to delivered. make sure yeah otherwise you'd wonder like forever very detail oriented and um i just remember sobbing in the post office and putting the letter into the post and just thinking my life is over and the rest of that year that was by far looking back my deacon deepest, <laughs> deepest and darkest depression. I skipped most of my classes. Um, I slept most of the day. And so I just spiraled into this deep hole. And of course, I lived in a house with some roommates. They sort of knew what was going on. They tried to get me out, tried to give me that thousand dollars. But that whole year is kind of a blur. And then I ended up coming back to BC and ran into my husband. I had met him before, but no sparks had flown. And when we met this time, it was just instant. And so we were married seven months after our first date to the day. And sometimes I look back and I think, how did I know? But I just knew it all clicked every single piece. And of course I threw up red flags right, left and center, but he said, oh, I had fallen madly in love with you. And at the time I just figured you had low self-esteem and I could cure anything with a bouquet of flowers and, you know, a back massage and some added attention. And so at that point I had no idea that I had an undiagnosed mental health condition. Um, he didn't know either. We're still together. We're coming up on 25 years. But now I look back and I'm so thankful that I went through that breakup. I know that if I had ended up with that other guy, um, it wouldn't have worked out. So I needed I needed to go through that to appreciate my husband when I met him. Oh my goodness. Okay, are you ready for this? You're. Like, I think I'm ready. Uh, like, I, I can't even tell our, our listeners. We, I didn't know this about you. So. Okay. Are you ready for Shaylee that's also Julie? Yes. <laughs> um, so I also, I had longer, like a year relationship, six month relationship in high school. Like I said, there was always, I always tried to be in a relationship, um, you know, to, to just have that self-esteem. Yeah. And um, so I dated a boy, I think I was like 17 for almost it all together like four-ish years or something like that but in the uh, in the middle there was there was a breakup um and he, uh he broke up with me and it oh. was for another person very obviously who actually looked a lot like me which was really really weird and um i only live two blocks away but yeah same thing i was devastated oh. i lived on my own at the time i had to for like, I think for like three or four weeks, um, I had to go stay with my parents. I remember I fainted, like almost felt like, it, I wanna laugh now, but I, I didn't even know, I called my parents hyperventilating. They thought like I had hurt myself and I was like, no, it's just my heart. <laughs> but um, during, you know, during that breakup, I remember I almost lost my job because of it, because one time um, 
I don't know why he called me at work, but he called me at work to arrange getting my snowboard back or something like that. And I remember just keep trying to keep him on the phone. And luckily uh, my boss was lovely and knew about the breakup and knew like how I felt like my life was falling apart and I wasn't myself or whatever, that she didn't get me in trouble. But I worked at a, a CD shop, but there was a little coffee place where you could listen. And I was behind there and like, she let me talk on there for like an hour. And I'm like Aww. behind the counter. Crying. I'm supposed to be working. I can't bless her. I think her name is Debbie. Bless you. Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. <laughs> and um, so then, and then there was a, a, and then I was like the angry one, right? I was angry. I was like, no, this is not okay. You know, you're treating this. I went through almost like some stages of grief or whatever. Yes. And then he came back. And of course, oh. I thinking like, I'm so different. And I was really into like grunge and I was like Kurt Cobain and pierced <laughs> and tattoos, right? And, but then also, uh, you know, a woman of faith, a Christian woman. So I'm like, there are no cool Christian guys. Like he was like, had this little <laughs> band or whatever. I'm like, even if things are bad, I think I was thinking in my head, you know, like, this is it really. I, I can't have like what we used to probably stereotype like a Bible thumper. No, that's not for me. <laughs> um, and so we got back together for several more years and um, he went away for a year. He decided last minute to go away for a year on a missions trip. And um, this was before good phone plans and it was like the dial phone and we, Oh no, <laughs> scared for what's coming. And, um, uh, I may have paid for all of those phone calls and such on my $7.50 job. Um, and yeah, and things just got weird. And then, and then he came up for Christmas and it didn't, and we were all back. And then um, he asked me to marry him over Christmas. Yeah. So we were, I don't even know how old it was, maybe like 1920. And of course, I was like ecstatic. Someone picked me. Like yeah. just having best friends pick me or having like someone picked me and just me. And, um, you know, as over the moon, it kind of solidified that, okay, this was rocky that he's away and he has to go away for six more months. But, you know, we can do this. In the meantime, I had moved for a summer job in, in Seashelt. I was living with a friend and I moved there. Anyways, I went to visit. It was in California best visit we're so happy talking about the wedding what's yeah. gonna be like we're gonna move back he's gonna move back da, da, da. I've told everyone in our smallish town um and then a couple weeks after it was about 10 days before he was supposed to come home and he just called and was like it's over it's done like an hour before my shift is over it's done that was it and after that, because it was when his trip was over, so he was going to stay in the States, um, didn't give a forwarding number, like, didn't, oh. I, like, I couldn't, I remember I left a message on the machine, and I, like, quoted a Bible verse about why we should be together, like, was, like, like, beggy, like, it's, it, it's humiliating, um, that's one of the shame stories that I used to still carry, yeah. but, um, yeah, and I remember, like, I, my parents had to come pick me up again, could barely get to class luckily I did yeah so I was in university and and such but I thought like everything was over I had to tell everybody uh, because he never came back um and just that idea that someone chose me and then unchose me I just 
I think it was more about that than yeah. about the person. Because when I think about it now, like we would have been, we wouldn't have made it. Like it, yeah. it was not a good thing, but just that defining moment, like all these fears you've ever had that you're not, you're too much or not enough. Yeah. Uh, felt really true in those moments. And my mom was afraid, like I wasn't a danger to myself or, um, you know, or others, but I remember like it scared my mom a bit because I just wanted, I just told her I want to sleep till I'm feeling better. I want to disappear. Yeah. Like I didn't, but I didn't feel like I wanted to like die, but I didn't, I couldn't. And I would follow her and I would sit outside the bathroom door. Like I couldn't be alone. I'm 20. Right. Yeah. And she was scared to leave me alone. I carried that like for years and years and years and years, even though it was over like him, but yeah. just that idea and the idea that like, you're not supposed to, it wasn't a broken marriage, but it was a broken engagement. Like it felt like that was like stolen from me. Do you know what I mean? Like it felt yeah. like, how can I do this twice kind of thing, which looking back, like it's not <laughs> that that big of a deal, but it was, it was definitely a, a defining moment in how I, I viewed myself. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I'm sorry for you too. Yeah. But we've risen from the ashes. <laughs> we have, we have. And, um, I'd love, uh, before we wrap up, what I was thinking that we could talk about is, um, just, tell one story about how um how our a moment at home because you said like it comes out at home um whether it be home when you were younger or whether it be home um with your husband uh just a time when you just felt like your bipolar wasn't in control and that was there like anything that you've done or thought of that was a defining like I am not okay and then I thought we could um, leave it at that and then definitely get into the next stage of our life with our marriages and our diagnosis. But yes, tell me a story, Julie. Well, there are so many stories just in the different ways that my undiagnosed um, condition affected my friendships and my kids. But as I mentioned before, um, my husband took the brunt of probably the most of my frustrations. And so I just wasn't coping at all. So one specific incident, um, it was about two or three in the morning and I always needed to make him pay for my anger and my frustration. And I've been able to now say to him, you know, it was never about you. It was about my frustration with myself, my inability to cope with everyday life, um, everything from the mailman to trick-or-treaters. And so I just wanted to be as dramatic as I could. And so I got up, it was about two in the morning um, our car was parked right underneath our bedroom window and I got in and I revved the engine as loud as I could, wanted to make sure to wake him up so he knew what was going down. Yeah. And then I took off. I screamed out of the driveway, had no idea where I was going, hadn't packed anything and made it about two blocks, parked the car. It was the middle of winter and kind of just started to feel really dumb. Um, but what I wanted, I wanted to scare him. I wanted him to think I was gone. I didn't really want him to call the police, but I wanted him to worry. And so eventually I started freezing out there. So I did go home fully expecting him to be, you know, pacing up and down, worried sick. And I got to the bedroom and he's fast asleep, hasn't even noticed that I'm gone. 
And I think it was kind of in that moment that I realized, you know, this is ridiculous. I made him aware of it in the morning and he just said, like, what is going on with you? So that was a specific moment, but I think for me, it was just the buildup um, of years and years of my husband being my punching bag. And so I won't give away how I actually was led to getting help, but that moment, that middle of the night getaway, that was probably just a few days before I made the decision or the decision was made for me. I'll leave that as a little teaser. Um, That was very shortly before I actually went and sought professional help. I've done extreme things like that because you can't even put into words how terrible you feel or how frustrated you are or how this, that doing the dramatic thing is the only way that I knew how to communicate how, what was in here. Yeah. Right. And so I think what I, um, carried for the longest time, uh, not understanding uh, about that it was a disorder that I just, I was so embarrassed that I was an angry person, like yeah. that I could go from zero to so furious. And like you said, uh, my story is similar uh, about yeah. with, with my husband. And um, I can think of a story or s- stories that kind of have the same theme, but yeah. I have a thing with losing things. In my childhood, I had, we didn't have a lot of money and I had a lot of brothers and they were rambunctious and wild. So we didn't have a lot of stuff and they wrecked a lot of stuff. They didn't mean to love you bros, but they wrecked stuff or, you know, stuff didn't last. People didn't care about. So I like my stuff. Like I, I, I was, you know, you have big feelings, about everything. I had big yeah. feelings about like my figurines or like whatever. So losing stuff. And, and when I'm hypomanic, which we'll talk about in different episodes, um, I lose a lot of things because you don't stop, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I can think of a time when, and it happened before, probably when I was a teenager too, losing things, but I could think of a time I was pregnant and I wanted, with my second, and I wanted a specific maternity skirt and I had it in my head. And sometimes when it's like, the way I can control things is like controlling what I'm wearing, like the things I yeah. can't control. Yeah. Uh, when I feel out of control, I'm overly controlled about, right? Like yeah. clothing, like shoes, like just, it has to feel right. Um, and I wanted, I, I, you know, when you're pregnant, like I felt uncomfortable. I knew I just wanted this skirt. But usually when I can't find things, for some reason, I decide to look for things at like 11 or 12 at night. And uh, we lived in a small townhouse. And so our, like I said, I like stuff. So we had our entire little, you know, storage areas were full of boxes. And um, I was freaking out and like screaming and like, I need this. Like I'm trying to get my husband to understand how much I need this skirt and just being like, uh, you know, like I know how ridiculous this is, but if we don't find this, like, I don't think I can breathe or sleep or like, this is the hyper-focus. I was ripping through boxes at midnight. I decided that I left it probably at my parents back to the parents being relaxed. They also aren't really into answering the phone. So I called obsessively for 15 minutes until they answered the phone. They know if it rings that often, that it's probably me. And I, I was like hysterical. And I was like, I must've left it there. I made them look through things. 
and all of that and like we didn't find it but finally like I being pregnant and just be, from emotions just like exhausted I remember like I just I don't even know where I fell asleep I don't know if my husband carried me up or what and then I remember it's just like you're in this state and yeah. then I remember waking up and I remember walking down the stairs and I had like my two-year-old right because I'm pregnant with the other one and there were clothes everywhere and boxes open it hit me and I was just like so ashamed yeah and embarrassed and yeah so that's one of one of um my big stories unfortunately there was a lot more to go until i i i got the official diagnosis but to this day um i don't react like that but to this day uh losing things. even telling you that story like my body right now is like hot and i can feel i can feel yeah how I felt. I don't know if that happens to you when you're talking about revving and driving. I can feel it. Just being able to say these things out loud. We know that, um, you know, shame doesn't grow in the dark. And we know when we can bring these stories out, we know there are other people that might have felt a similar way. Or um, we know that people, because of experience, will love us anyways. And just to be able to share and then hear your stories as well. And hopefully for anyone watching right now to just know that they're not alone. And yes, there are things in our past, things that we've done, or, you know, maybe you're just in that season right now, but just to know that it's okay, you're not alone and you are not the sum of your worst or craziest moments. Um, you know, they don't define you and they don't need to set the course um, for the rest of your life. So absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, we hope that if you're someone listening and that's um, struggling right now, we just um, encourage you um, to, to go and get help. Um, also, uh, we'll put all our handles on here, our Instagram, our Facebook, and we would love to connect. We want to tell you all about the lead up and our diagnosis story next. And um, I know Julie's is, is really really powerful and I'm excited for you to hear that and I hope that mine might help someone too so thank you for joining us friends